My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 161, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Isaiah 1 through 4 and Proverbs 9, verses 7 through 18. Isaiah chapter 1. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manager. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Why should you be beaten any more? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire, your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Daughter Zion is left like a shelter and a vineyard, like a hut and a cucumber field, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instructions of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right and seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She once was full of justice, righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. 
Your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the mighty one of Israel declares, Ah, I will vent my wrath on my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all impurities. I will restore your leaders as in days of old, your rulers as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion will be delivered with justice, her penitent ones with righteousness, but rebels and sinners will both be broken, and those who forsake the Lord will perish. You will be ashamed because of the sacred oaks in which you have delighted. You will be disgraced because of the gardens that you have chosen. You will be like an oak and fading leaves, like a garden without water. The mighty man will become tinder, and his work a spark. Both will burn together, with no one to quench the fire. This is what Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the last days. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. As the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divinations like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So people would be brought low and everyone humbled. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted and they will be humbled, for all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan, from all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty tower and every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols will totally disappear. People will flee to caves in the rocks and to the holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty. When He rises to shake the earth, and that day people will throw away to the moles and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold, which they made to worship. They will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from their fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty when He rises to shake the earth. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? See now, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, all supplies of food and all supplies of water, the hero and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, 
the captain of fifty and the man of rank, the counselor, skilled craftsman, and clever enchanter. I will make mere use their officials. Children will rule over them. People will oppress each other, man against man, neighbor against neighbor. The young will rise up against the old, the nobody against the honored. A man will seize one of his brothers in his father's house and say, You have a cloak. You be our leader. Take charge of this heap of ruins. But in that day, he will cry out, I have no remedy. I have no food or clothing in my house. Do not make me the leader of the people. Jerusalem staggers. Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked. Disaster is upon them. They will be paid back for what their hands have done. Use oppress my people. Woman, rule over them. My people, your guides, lead you astray. They turn you from the paths. The Lord takes his place in court. He rises to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment against the elders and leaders of his people. It is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. Why do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. The Lord says, the women of Zion are haughty, walking along with outstretched necks, flirting with their eyes and strutting along with swaying hips, with ornaments jingling on their ankles. Therefore, the Lord will bring sores on the heads of the women of Zion. The Lord will make their scalps bald. And that day, the Lord will snatch away their finery, the bangles and headbands and crescent necklaces, the earrings and bracelets and veils, the headdresses and anklets and sashes, the perfume, bottles and charms, the signet rings and nose rings, the fine robes, the capes and cloaks, the purses and mirrors, and the linen garments and tiaras and shawls. Instead of fragrance, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-dressed hair, baldness. Instead of fine clothing, sackcloth. Instead of beauty, branding. Your men will fall by the sword, your warriors in battle. The gates of Zion will lament and mourn. Destitute, she will sit on the ground. And that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, We will eat our own food and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy, all who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over everything, the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and a hiding place from the storm and rain. Proverbs 9, verse 7. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. 
Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. We began reading from the book of Isaiah today. Dr. Sandra Richter, one of my favorite Old Testament biblical scholars, explains how many people believe the prophet Isaiah is one of the most influential prophets of the Old Testament. So in my marketing world, he might be called today something like a mega influencer. Dr. Richter makes a great point. She describes how the prophet Isaiah is quoted more times than any other Old Testament figure in the New Testament. By her count, it's 60 times in the Gospels, Book of Acts, the Epistles. She explains that he is named and quoted. She describes how some biblical scholars refer to the book of Isaiah as the fifth gospel, because this book will have more to say about the coming Jesus Christ, the Messiah, than any other character in the Old Testament. She describes Isaiah as brilliant and courageous, telling the people of God to either step up or stand down. Isaiah says more about who the people of God are supposed to be than anyone else, and when he speaks, kings tremble. But Dr. Richter explains in her video series on Isaiah through Seedbed and her book, The Epic of Eden, Isaiah, that today it's harder for people to understand in our day our language, our culture, what Isaiah is saying. But it's not just that. Dr. Richter says it's length, it has 66 chapters, it's rhetoric, and vocabulary are complex. In addition, she compares this book to the epistles, which we'll read in the New Testament. What makes it particularly challenging is that it's like reading a half of a conversation without context. We read what the man of God is saying, Isaiah, But we don't as clearly know the if or when or who he's speaking to and why. What are the crises around the situation? I'll be referencing her work along the way and include resource links in the show notes. To orient and make a comparison, the books of Hosea and Micah, which we have read, were called minor prophets, not because they were less important, but because they were shorter. The book of Isaiah, by contrast, is called a major prophet because it's a long one with rich insights about the story with reflections back and foreshadowing to Jesus in the New Testament. We also remember that prophets are not fortune tellers, but messengers of God to specific people. And Dr. Richter explains how prophets got their appointments, if you will, from the divine council. More on that in the future. Isaiah's message starts with God's judgment. Remember, even the line of David from the southern kingdom and even the capital, Jerusalem, has drifted and defected from the Lord. Isaiah is speaking to the leaders of the southern kingdom here in the city of Jerusalem and the tribe of Judah. The message we are reading today is about God's judgment. What does the anger seem to be focused on? For me, it seemed like it was on the hypocrisy of going through the motions or rituals of making sacrifices to the Lord, but at the same time, oppressing the poor and you know, having a defected heart and doing things that were clearly against the covenantal laws. What was the result of God's anger burning against this type of hypocrisy? Dr. Mackey describes how the bigger and badder adversaries, Babylon, Assyria, 
will bring conflict and war. I read this in a way as God saying, okay, if you want to be an adversary, a part of the anti-story as Marty Solomon calls it, then I'll open my hand and let you go. But the adversaries are bigger and badder than you are, and they will overtake you. It's a warning. I feel a little bit like it reads to me as a parent saying, okay, child, like don't run into the street. There are cars there and you could get really hurt, even die. So hold on tight to my hand. The parent is trying to teach the child how to become a functional adult in society. But if that child rips their hand away and runs into the street, tragedy is a likely outcome. At the same time that there is warning, there is also hope. There's a repeated mention of the reconciliation and the metaphor of God shaking the earth, but there's still hope. Remember Isaiah 1 verse 26, I will restore your leaders as in days of old, your rulers as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. There was this emphasis placed on the judgment God will bring to those in charge, those with authority and influence. Remember chapter 3 verses 12 and 14, the Lord takes his place in court. He rises to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment against the elders and leaders of his people for oppressing the poor and running the vineyard, which is typically a metaphor in the Bible for God's blessing and provision. So it's like saying the leaders were not using God's blessing and provision in the right ways for the right reasons, and it's affecting the point of it all, which is to be an ongoing blessing for all people. I also appreciated the reminder in chapter 2, verses 22, that we cannot solely trust, as the verse reads, mere humans and hold them in esteem for, as the verse says, they have mere breath in their nostrils. To me, this is a reminder to be first person in the story, the word of God for ourselves, right? Responding to God and not just listening to what others say or or they think it says, because as an academic, I know that's second sources, second hand, third hand. So we have to stay focused on the story, like the North Star, and we can reference it and talk about it and help sharpen each other in doing it. But we all have to be in first person, first hand, first resource, the word of God. Oh, and I recognize that women were in the metaphor for the wayward people in the city of Jerusalem and the tribe of Judah in the southern kingdom. And tomorrow it will be a vigoron, which is a person that cultivates a vineyard, grapes to make wine. While women and vineyards or vineyards are real, obviously, the book of Isaiah's sophisticated work of biblical Hebrew poetry characterized by intricate combinations of wordplay and imagery as biblical scholar Blake Cooey about the book of Isaiah writes in Oxford Research. Also, the story is focused on the leadership of Israel, and it's being described in chapter 3, which we read verse 12, as being like a child. And the narrative seems to be about, again, emphasizing the leaders cheating and oppressing the people. Because I'm in marketing, I know how powerful a well-suited metaphor can sit with the right audience. And remember, the Israelites in the ancient Near Eastern world at the time lived in the context of a patrilineal society where the widows, orphan, women, and children were third and fourth class citizens, if you will, and the second and third or fourth class citizens, they were the second sons, and the top first class citizens would be the firstborn sons in a primogeniture patrilineal society. 
So it's important to know that because that firstborn son would have the most economic, political, and sociocultural power. So if you're writing metaphors, you keep all of that in context because you know what the reference point is and what might be really easy for them to understand. So for me, this makes sense why they would use a wayward woman and children and the metaphor and similarly vineyards, which will come up again later in Isaiah. I think we even talk about them tomorrow because they were commonplace throughout the area. And we're going to talk about the terracing and Marty Solomon's got really great insights on vineyards. And it would therefore also be a good metaphor based on the pre-existing understanding of the context for those people. Okay, but perhaps the most exciting thing is that Isaiah has a clear sense of hope. Despite the rebellion, God will fulfill his promise. Remember 2 Samuel chapter 7, a future king from the line of David is coming and he will help Israel obey the covenant, which that king would help to rescue, redeem and restore God's blessing that would flow outward to all nations, referencing back to Genesis 12. There's so much to learn from this prophet, this book, the situation about who God is, his desire for his people, and what's to come. Can't wait for tomorrow. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.